be back, but um, so I'm, I'm doing the best I can to fill in for Brother Hank. I am thrilled that you all are here. We are. Welcome to St. Philip's, especially those of you who are visiting from other churches or, or um, other places in town. Thank you for being here. Welcome. We are excited to have with us Scott Hoffman. I, I met Scott this morning, introduced myself, and I said, hello, Dr. Hoffman. It is Dr. Scott Hoffman. He said, not doctor, not uh, just Scott. Just call me Scott. But we are glad to have Scott with us. Scott serves as the vice president for donation affairs um, for, uh, for Billy Graham Ministries and has been in that position for some time up in Charlotte. But Scott has worn a, a lot of hats. Before being involved in donor ministries, he has been a pastor of a church for 15 years. He has written a book. Um, he and his wife have been co-CEOs uh, of a group that helps out with, with church camps. Um, but before all of that, Scott worked in, in the business world, a world that most of you operate in. He was um, worked in, in the garment industry in New York City, of all places, New York City. And so, um, but God called him to a, different, to a different place, to a different ministry. Um, Scott and Nancy, his wife, have one son who is an attorney in Virginia, and they have three grandchildren. And we're just excited to, to hear this, this afternoon um, from Billy Graham Ministries that, that has had such an impact on so many people. And, and I want to say a special thank you to John Rivers, because it really is through John that we got connected to Scott and have the great joy and privilege of hearing from him today. So let's give a big Charleston welcome to Scott Hoffman. Well, first of all, thanks so much. What a great opportunity to be here today. I love talking to business guys. It's such an opportunity. As, uh, as Andrew said, I spent uh, uh, about 12 years in the, in, the, in, the, in the business world, and it was uh, incredible training for what God has called me to over these, over these last uh, so many years. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, I want to I share with you, we're talking about testimony. And uh, I want to share with you my testimony, not about how I came to believe in Jesus Christ or how he got a hold of me, but what he's done in my life since he got a hold of me is really much more important. And, and I want to start by talking about the, how important names are. You know, sitting with some of you and talking with some of you, there's some names in the room here that, uh, you know, when you, when you hear a last name, you've you, you got a whole history that comes with it. So names are really important. And I learned this lesson from my son. Because he was, when he was about five years old, he was in a play. And he came home from the play, and my wife said to him, what's the, what's the play you're in? She said, well, we're doing Noah and the Ark. He said, oh, that's great. Uh, and what's your part? And he was, a, he was a, an animal of some sort, I think. And she said, who's playing Noah? And Kevin said, Noah. And my wife said, no, no, who's, who's playing Noah? And he said, Noah. And my wife said, no, no, no. What's the name of the little boy that's playing the part of Noah. And exasperated, he said, Noah. And she finally got it. You know, his friend Noah was playing Noah. <laughs> and, then, and then he asked her this great question, why would a mom name her son Noah? And as he thought about it for a minute, he came up with what she thought was a phenomenal answer. She said, probably because she wanted him to have a biblical example of a great role model to grow up like. Great answer except for my five-year-old son who's now a lawyer, and was then, uh, says, well, where's Kevin in the Bible? 
Oh. <laughs> Ouch. You know, the prophet, uh, Habakkuk Kevin. So anyway, he, she had to explain to him that his name wasn't in the Bible, and, and he said, well, how do I know how to grow up? I'm changing my name to David. From now on, I'll be David. And for three months, if I was looking right at him and I said, hey, Kev, he would ignore me. He's such a strong-willed kid. He would ignore me completely. And if I said, hey, David, so what do you want, Dad? Wow. David. He changed his name to David so he would know how to grow up. And as I think about that, I think about the fact that, you know, the name of Jesus is so important to us. And there are so many names in the scripture for, for Jesus. You, you throw out some. You guys can think of some. You're a, you're a biblical audience. What are some names for Jesus? Savior, Savior Messiah. Teacher. Teacher. Son of God. Son of God. All a tremendous litany of great names of, of Jesus that are so powerful and so important and everyone describing an attribute of, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Son of God and the Messiah. So important. But I have one that I want to share with you today that I guarantee you, you've never seen before, but hopefully when we're done today, you'll have an understanding. Well, there'll be one of two things that will happen. You'll either have a great understanding of why this is a great name for Jesus, or you will never invite the Billy Graham Association back again. <laughs> one of those two things will happen. And I'll tell you where this name came from. My wife has just come through her second bout with cancer. And the first bout, she had breast cancer, and it was really, for all intents and purposes, She'll say this, it's easy for me, but she'll say it to us, oh, pretty much a piece of cake. She went through all of the treatments, and she had some surgery, and she went through the things, and it was pretty easy. This one, this last one, was really tough. And it was a, about a two-year process. And she had three surgeries, and she had chemo, and radiation, and a feeding tube, and it was, a, it was at the base of her tongue, so it was in a terrible spot, and she had all these side effects and everything. And about three or four months ago, we were up in Philadelphia, we went to the cancer treatment centers, and we were up there, and a doctor came into the room and had a file folder, with, with uh, assuming it was her file folder, but, but on the side of that file folder was the word Ned. Ned, you know, Doc, you brought the wrong file folder in. It's not, this isn't Ned, this is Nancy. Oh, Ned. You know what that stands for, don't you? It means no evidence of disease. What? We stamped that on your file just before we came in today. And so I got to thinking about that. As a, from a testimony point of view, the incredibleness of a if you want to, you know, I'm a simple guy, and some of these big, fancy names for Jesus I have trouble pronouncing and I have trouble understanding, but Ned I can spell, Ned I can get, and Ned I can understand. And so when I thought about that, I went to the scripture right away and I started in the Gospel of Mark. And there's a story in the Gospel of Mark in the very first chapter of where a leper comes up to Jesus and he says, You can heal me if you want to. And Jesus says, You're Go, your faith has made you well. And the leprosy was gone. There's, a, there's, a, there's an instance where Ned was so evident in that guy's life. No evidence of disease in that leper's life at all. Go to the next chapter in chapter 2 and there's a paralytic whose friends bring him to Jesus. He can't even get there himself. And you know the story where there's so many people around, they can't even get close. They cut a hole in the roof. They drop him before him. Jesus sees the faith of his friends and sees his faith and says to him, your sins are forgiven. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. A lifetime of disease, just like that. Ned, 
influences that man's life for good. No evidence of disease. And, you know, and there's so many other stories all through the scripture. In Mark chapter 10, there's a blind man named Bartimaeus who goes up to Jesus and said, I want to see. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go. No evidence of, of ocular disease in that man's life anymore. And as I started to think about that, and I was so moved by it because it was so personal to me with my wife, that I started to think about, I'm going to use this name Ned, and, and think about that. And I'm looking at the scripture, and all of a sudden I see in the scripture maybe some other things. You know, again, I'm in the Gospel of Mark, and I go to the fourth chapter, and there's a story in the fourth chapter where Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Whenever you see that in the scripture, you probably, something bad's going to happen. You know, the disciples, if they were smart, would have not ever followed him when he said, let's go over to the other side. Because <laughs> things that always happen. So anyway, they're on their way over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm brews. Just comes all around them. And these guys are professional fishermen. And they do everything in their power. They do everything they can possibly do. And what happens is that they can't do anything, and they think they're going to die. And they wake up a sleeping Jesus in the stern of the boat, and they say, Jesus, we're going to die. You have little faith, and he stands up in the boat, and he puts his hands up, and he says, Peace, be still. And as I thought about that, once again, that's a great picture of Ned in the scripture, because for those disciples that day, there was no evidence of disaster. They're expecting a complete disaster, and there's now no evidence of it. And, 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 and when, I, when my wife and I were running that ministry on the Jersey Shore, it was right on the beach. And you've heard of Sandy, I'm sure, but the year before Sandy was the Hurricane Irene that also came up the coast. And we did, we, had, we were right on the coast, we had boardwalk, we had beach, we had piers that we were all responsible for. And there was a, uh, uh, we did everything that we could do to get ready for it, but there's only so much you can do when a hurricane's gonna come and to be a direct hit. So we did that, the, the, but the last thing we did, much like the disciples did everything in their power, and the last thing they did is they went to Jesus. We decided to go to Jesus. We took our entire staff out on the fishing pier, all the way out on the end, and we prayed over the beach, we prayed over the boardwalk, we prayed over the fishing pier, and then we went back in and hunkered down for the storm. And the storm hit, hit very, very hard. Nothing compared to Sandy, but it was really hard for us. It was the first one in New Jersey for a long time. And the next morning, we, we went out to the beach, and there was a lot of sand everywhere, and there was a lot of other that there was no damage to our boardwalk, only a little, railing broke off on the end of our fishing pier and that was it. Our worship center on the beach was perfectly intact. And the town just south of us and the town just north of us, both of them had major damage. And we had to realize that that prayer was way more effective than all of the measures we took because the guys on both sides of us took the same measures. So again, there we were standing on, the, on a perfectly uh, intact boardwalk saying, thank you, Ned. Thank you, Ned. No evidence of disaster. And then I, I turn the page and mark again to the fifth chapter. And that's when they get to the other side. And the minute they get off the boat on the other side, Jesus is met by a man who's absolutely out of control. He is so possessed. He is so overwhelmed. They put him in this one area so that he wouldn't hurt anybody. And they, uh, that he would just run around there. And he would run around naked. And he would run around out of control because he was possessed. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, leave me alone. And Jesus says, go, get out of him. And the whole legion leaves this man and goes into those 
pigs up on the hill and, and the pigs run off the hill and into the, into the lake. And there again, for that particular individual, Ned strikes once again. There was indeed for that guy no evidence of demons, right? And as I thought about that story in terms of my own testimony, I spent a lot of time in Haiti with a ministry that we started there in my church, for my church in New Jersey. Right after the earthquake there, we, we had about a thousand people living in a courtyard of the church down there because they had lost their homes. And our pastor decided down there, well, they're here every night. We're going to do a worship service every night. We're going to do an invitation. So he asked me to preach one of the nights. I had the privilege of preaching. And uh, we had probably about 100 or so people that came forward. But one lady in particular, a teenage girl, I think she was, maybe early 20s, and she came forward and she was so filled with, with demonic possession. You could just, you just knew it. She was screaming things. I don't speak Creole at all, but I knew what she was saying because it was just so horrible and so blasphemous. And, and so we started to pray over her and she started to scream back. And then there was another guy from the church who that was his specialty was to pray over people with this kind of uh, possession. And so he came over and he's praying over her and I'm praying over her. And we prayed over her for about a half an hour. And finally she fell into a heap and she landed on the ground. And then she got up with tears in her eyes and said yes to Jesus. And that prayer was so powerful for me, and that prayer was so overwhelming for me that, that Jesus would care that much about this young girl with no home and with no family who, who Satan had possessed. And there again, Ned, no evidence of demons in her life. And what God did for me, the next thing that God did for me in that story, which was so overwhelming, is I went back to sit down. I was exhausted, sat next to the guy who, who was on the trip with me, and so he said, oh, that was really incredible. That was really powerful. And I said, yeah, it was really amazing. And what was so important for me was when that guy came over to pray from the church that he realized who I was, and he prayed over her in English so that I could join in the prayer. And my friend looked at me like I had two heads. And he said, he wasn't praying in English. What God had done for me that day in, in this prayer over this demonically possessed woman was giving me the opportunity to understand completely what he was praying, even though I didn't speak a word of Creole. No evidence of demons. And you know, in so many other places in the scripture you can see Ned. You know, you go to John chapter 20, great chapter, and everybody knows this story. Uh, you may not place it just from the address, but you know the story. It's when the disciples gather together that first night, and they're all together, well, all but one. They're all together. Jesus comes, shows himself. They all are overwhelmed with his presence. And then they, there's, there's a guy missing. Thomas is missing that night. And they go to tell Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the risen Christ. And he says what most uh, businessmen in town who aren't believers might say. Sure, now, of course he did. Yeah, huh? I'm not buying into any of that. I'm going to not believe that until I see it with my own eyes, until I touch and put my fingers in, the, in, the, in, in his side where the nail holes were. So the next Sunday night, Jesus comes back again, and the, his friends bring Thomas, and Thomas is there that night, and Jesus walks up to him and says, Thomas. And that's all he really says to him. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch him. He doesn't have to do that. He just hears and sees Jesus. And Ned works in his life again, because in his life there's no evidence of doubt. An amazing thing. The very next chapter... Chapter 21, Peter is on the, on the beach with Jesus after, after uh, that horrible time in the courtyard. Three times in the courtyard before the rooster crows. 
Jesus meets him on the beach and has breakfast with him and takes him for a walk and explains to him about, about how he still has value. And he restores him to wholeness. He restores him to active ministry. He sets him up to be one of the absolute leaders of the movement after Jesus goes to heaven. And what we see in that moment for Peter is, and in Jesus' eyes, Ned strikes again because there is there no evidence of denial. And as I thought about that in my own life, it was an extraordinary opportunity that I had. I was in business, as I said, for about 12 years. I was president of a, of a company and, and a minor partner with a couple of Syrian Orthodox Jewish guys, so that was, that was fun. Lots of, uh, lots of great conversations there. But I always had a desire to have my own business, to do my own thing. And so when God called me into ministry, I, I didn't want to do it at all. I ran away from it. I actually went to my pastor when I finally felt like I couldn't run any further. And I said, what should I do? And he said, well, I think you should keep running. What kind of advice is that from a pastor? But he said, ah, you know, pastoral ministry is one of those things, and you'll know this for sure. He said, if, if it's a real call from God, you'll never be able to outrun it. And if it's not a call from God, you don't want to touch it with a 10-foot ball. So that was great advice. So I kept running, I kept running, I kept running, and I couldn't outrun it. I made the decision that I was going into full-time ministry. And the, the week I made that decision, my wife and I prayed. We came to the conclusion. We committed to God that we were going to do this, that we were going to leave a lucrative business and, and go to seminary and do what we needed to do. And I went on a trip to, to Bangkok and, and met with a factory owner over there. We're having dinner in a very fancy restaurant that he's paying for. And it's like probably the fanciest place I've ever eaten in time. And uh, we're having this conversation over dinner about business. And, and he says to me, you know, it's time. I said, what? It's time. It's time you and I go into business together. And he reaches into his briefcase and he takes out a check. And he slides it across the table and it's got my name on it. And it's made out for a million dollars. What? A million dollars. And he said, use that any way you want to start our business together. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that particular moment in that particular time, which seems to be the highest level of temptation possible that Satan could possibly do, for me was the absolute confirmation that God had called me because I had no desire to take that check. And I had made a decision, and for me there was no evidence of denying Jesus after I had made that commitment to him. And the ability to push that check back <laughs> to push that check, push that check back, was so strong. The ability to do that, with Jesus just came into my life and said, "We're together. And we're going to do this." And that was uh, that was a long time ago, and I had no idea how it was going to go from the money that I was making to uh, no money, and, and seminary and all the other things. That God took care of that in an extraordinary, extraordinary way. And the last thing that you know. Honor your time. The last component of this concept of calling Jesus Ned, maybe the most important. We've just come through it. The season of the, that the church is in right now, just after the, the great events of Holy Week. That Good Friday, what Jesus did for us, we can't commemorate that enough. We can't think about that enough. We can't honor that enough. We can't cherish that enough, that Jesus went to the cross and took onto himself everything that we deserve. 
I heard a couple of guys out in the hall when they were doing the name tags, they were kidding about how we just should write on every name tag, wicked sinner. <laughs> Anybody who does, that doesn't apply, raise your hand. Wicked sinner. That's what Jesus went to the cross because we are all wicked sinners. And he went to the cross to, for, to, to take unto himself all of that wicked sin so that we might not have the penalty that he took unto himself. And then three days later, the ladies go to the tomb, right? Some of you are going to Israel in, in a couple of days. An extraordinary, you'll go to the garden tomb. Whether it is or is not, and there'll be debate about that until he comes back again and clar clarifies. But it doesn't matter. When you're at that place and you see the sign on that door that says, he is not here, wow. he is risen. Those ladies that first day experienced Ned for the very first time because Jesus died on the cross on Friday, but on Sunday there was no evidence of death. And that confidence that we can have because of what Jesus did for us is what our walk with him is all about. It's what every single one of our testimonies revolves around. My, last week, my sister passed away last week very suddenly. And I had the opportunity to go, and, and I have, I, I've shared with my, my family's pretty tough. Anybody got a tough family? <laughs> I, I, my family's pretty tough. We, we grew up Roman Catholic, and <clears throat> when, I, when I made a change, they didn't think that was possible. They thought that was like against the law or something. I can't decide to not be Catholic anymore. But they were and I've been ministering to them <clears throat> for years and years and years. And, and my sister, this one sister in particular, I... We had had conversations where I was certain that she had gotten it. And so as I was able to do, I, I don't know about the rest of my family, but this sister I know, and this is the one who, who Jesus chose to take home quickly, suddenly, without any warning, and it hit the rest of us pretty hard. But I was able to preach with confidence about where she was because of what Jesus did for her. Because she said yes to the gift that he handed her that he said, she said yes to understanding that he went to the cross and he died and three days later he rose again and there was no evidence of death and I was able to tell my three other sisters and my brother that for Pam there is no evidence of death today because of what Jesus did for her. And that's the story that we get to tell. Dr. Graham, this is a great quote from Dr. Graham and I love this quote because what he says, you know, he's 98 and a half. And he, he'll tell you that when you get to be 98, you earn the halves, so use them. <laughs> but what he's been saying for a long time, you know, somebody of his prominence, it's a funny thing, you know, because somebody of his prominence, you can't just do a funeral for somebody of his prominence without preparing, without already being prepared. We've been preparing for his funeral for like 30 years. <laughs> Will was saying the other night, his grandson Will was saying the other night, he said his entire a team of pallbearers have all died. <laughs> and half the second team. His best friends are all there. He says now, he says, oh man, they're going to think I didn't make it. <laughs> and they used to kid him about that, actually. George Beverly Shea, and, who, who sang beautifully and led worship, and Cliff, who led the choirs over the years, they said, you know, when we get to heaven, we're still going to have a job. You? I don't know. No need for an evangelist. But here's the quote. 
No evidence of death. Here's the quote. He said, one day, you're going to pick up the newspaper and you're going to read that Billy Graham has died. And what he says to you and to me, he says, don't believe it. Because that day, I'll be more alive than any day I ever spent here on earth. That's the, that's the testimony that we get to tell. Because that's true, not just for Billy Graham. That's true for every single one of us who believes in Jesus Christ because Ned has spoken into our lives. So I pray, I, what I put on your tables there is a file folder, which you may have been wondering about as you were seeing it, but there's a file folder there with Ned on it. No evidence of you fill in the D for your life. You fill in the name on the tab of the file folder. And, and forever for, for yourself or forever you might be praying, let that be a visual object lesson for you of Jesus Christ's power in your life today. Because that's what he wants for you. He wants to be Ned for you. He wants to be, some of you may be in the situation or know somebody's in the situation that they're suffering from cancer or heart disease or, or some other kind of disease. Jesus wants to speak and say there's no evidence of disease in this person's life. For some of you, it might be disaster. For some of you, it might be demons. And, and, and demons don't just come in the form of uh, uh, Ghostbusters kinds of things. We all have demons of all kinds of varieties in, in this day and age. So it may be some grandson or grandchild or daughter or, or somebody that you want to put on that uh, prayer list. It may be somebody in your life who needs, who's doubting Jesus right now and they need to have Ned speak into their life to, to give them the opportunity where there's no evidence of doubt or denial or darkness or depression. I'll leave it up to you. You know who the people are in your life. But take that file folder with you and, and fill it in and use it as an object lesson to help you to be praying about that. The other uh, bag on the table is some materials from our ministry. There's a brochure on all of the various ministries of the Billy Graham organization. And uh, too numerous to get into in the one minute that I've got left. So, But uh, feel, feel free. Doug Barrett and Tanya Skelly are here from, the, from our organization. They'd love to talk to you if you have some time. Uh, there's an invitation to you to come to the library. And we'd love to have you come. It's only about three hours from here, and it's an enormously wonderful opportunity to come and, 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 and explore what Billy Graham's life has meant and what an ongoing crusade could be. And there's also a great DVD in there uh, that's a compilation of our My Hope video from last year and also a recap of our Decision American tour from 2016. So those are our gifts to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. We, we're, we're thrilled to, whenever we get an opportunity, to share the good news. And I thankful for all of you in this room and for all that you do to share the gospel, for all that you do in your businesses, for all that you do in this community, to keep the, 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 the light on in this great city that's been such an enormously powerful place for the gospel. And I know its best days lie ahead. So God bless you in your work. God bless you in what you do in your ministries, in your lives, your families. And again, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to share.